I'd like you to open your Bibles uh, this morning with me. We're in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be in verses 9 through 13 in a message that I've titled, The Disciples' Prayer. Out of all of the passages quoted in Scripture, this may be one of the most popular the most popular group of verses that is quoted. As a, as a matter of fact, you can go almost anywhere in the world. You can find Protestant churches, Catholic churches, Episcopalian, Lutherans, Methodists, Anglicans, uh, Pentecostal churches, you name it. And there's a good chance you're going to find somebody, if not many people, in that church that is going to be able to quote word for word what is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Now, I don't want to say that that's uh, uh, an incorrect interpretation of this prayer. A lot of your Bibles will have it as a, as a header right above maybe verse number 9. But I would suggest a little bit of a, of a change in the way we're going to look at it this morning. In, in looking at it, not as a section called the Lord's Prayer, but in looking at it as the disciples' prayer. What we find in Matthew 6 is an outline of a prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. There, there are so many amazing points in this prayer and in these verses that we could literally spend about three months in study on the Lord's Prayer itself. Now, I'm not going to preach on the Lord's Prayer for three months straight. I'm going to preach on it for about 30 minutes straight. If you'll join me in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse number 9. I'm reading mostly this morning from the New King James Version. Matthew quotes Jesus as saying this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. He says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So this verse, verse number 9, is essentially, it's addressing a letter. It's starting out at the top saying who exactly this prayer is to. So we're getting in tune as we begin, and as Jesus tells us how to begin our prayer with who it is that we're speaking to. But he makes a, a very distinct point in this prayer. He says to pray this way and say, how will be your name? We don't use that word very often. I don't know, I don't know when was the last time outside of this prayer that you used that word. What, is, what does that mean to be howled? It actually means holy. So it's saying that we're addressing our prayer to God the Father, and holy is your name. The word, the word holy in itself means to be separated from. God is separated from. He is holy. He is separated from sin. But God is even more than that. He is separated from ordinary. Even His name itself is so holy that it's separated from basic. It's separated from mediocre. It's certainly separated from us and our name, right? That's how holy God is. That's how separated from sin he is, is that even his name is holy. And it's separated from anything that is tarnished. 
His name is so sacred and holy that, that we're going to even go back into history. We're going to go back into time. And, and we see when Moses was given God's holy name and he shared it with the Hebrews, the people who were out in the desert, who were on their way to the Holy Land, his name was so holy and sacred that throughout generations, they came to a point to where they didn't even speak God's holy name. In our English language, we refer to God's name, we, we use the word Yahweh as, as the best that, that, we could, that we could symbolize and say His holy name. But honestly, modern day scholars have absolutely no clue the proper pronunciation that, that God gave to Moses because of the fact that his name was so sacred and so holy that the people would not repeat his name. They would not say his name. And over generations, his name by written form was passed on. But after generations, his name in an audio format was not passed on. That's how holy and sacred his name is and the first thing that jesus is telling us in this prayer in this model prayer is that we should recognize who it is that we are speaking to and how deeply holy god is it's how deeply holy even his name is and our lord continues to lay out this example of a prayer for us after we've addressed our prayer to god the father and jesus shows us more depth of our prayer as we move on in this conversation with with god that that jesus is showing us as an example in the way to pray come back with me into matthew chapter 6 we're in verse number 10 jesus says this he says in your prayer continue like this your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that leads us to point number one in your notes this morning for those of you who are joining us for the first time on the left hand side of your bulletin you'll find some fill in the blanks and i'm going to give you those those blanks, and they'll be up here on the screen as well. You can fill those in. Point number one in your notes this morning. Our prayers should bring us in line with God's desires for our lives. The verse says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayers should bring us in line with God's desires for our lives. I want you to think for a minute how glorious that statement is. Jesus is telling us that when we pray that we are to tell God that it is our request for His will to be done. So what does that mean, for thy will be done? It means this, that if we are praying that our desire is for God's will to be done, then we are in fact relinquishing our own will. You and I, we were born with this sinful nature. That the sin has crept into everything that we do and, and everything that we want and everything that we desire for ourselves is actually tainted by sin. You want to know what, what, what the center of God's will is? If that's where we want to live, we can turn there. Actually, the exact center of God's Word, the verse that is exactly in the middle of your Bible, Psalms 118, verse number 8, it advises this. It says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? It's a pretty powerful verse. I want you to look for a moment at the difference between God's will and my will. 
many people, and even Christians, show to others what our lifestyle is by whose will we're following. We might go and we say, well, my will be done at work as it is in my house. Or we might say, you know, my desires be accomplished amongst my, my group of friends as they are as I dominate the temper of my household. That's my will leading. So many of us live with this my will, this, this me first mentality. If we are to follow the example that Jesus gives us, if we were to follow his example for prayer for our lives, we are telling God at the very beginning of our prayer that we understand who he is and who we are not. He is in control. And, and we're, we are stating that we are not in control. And it's not simply that we know that we're not, it's that we are relinquishing control. So that as his creation, we can glorify him and live out his will as the creator. Jesus is telling us that in heaven, God's will is being done. Heaven is an amazing place. And God's will dominates heaven. Everything that happens there is God's will. We're saying, we want your will, God, to be done here, just like it is in heaven. We want everything that happens on earth to operate the same way that it happens in heaven. That's our prayer. We know that it doesn't happen like that, but that's certainly our prayer and we can do our part, right? See, when we set our own direction for our lives, you know what we're doing? When we set our own direction for our lives, we are limiting what God can do for us because we've taken control back. We've said, yeah, I'm going to steer this ship. I'm going to take this control. How much are we limiting our lives when we put us in control? How small are we compared to God? How holy are we compared to God? Not very, right? The direction that we could steer our own lives is limited when we take it out of God's hand. God's will is so much more pure than ours. God's will is so much more powerful than ours. God's desire for our lives is actually so much more detailed than ours. Imagine your desires and your will for your life. And then think about how much we're limiting ourselves by operating by our own wills and desires. It would be fair to say that God's will and his desires for us are so much deeper than our wills and desires for our life? If we're only living to achieve what we can accomplish on our own, We've created a barrier for accomplishment. We have created a barrier for what we can achieve to bring God glory. I want you to see what King Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, he says this. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. 
See, to align ourselves with the desires that God has for our lives is to understand that He has plans for us that we can't even imagine. Sometimes we get caught up in the what we want for us mentality. You know what God wants for us? God wants to be glorified through us. When we are truly glorifying God with our actions, then God's will is being done. But how many of our actions are exclusively done for the sole purpose of glorifying God? When we're praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, everything that is done in heaven is done to glorify God. If that's our prayer, we're saying, Lord, let me glorify you in all that we do. Because that's my prayer. I want what happens in heaven to happen here. There's a deep meaning in this prayer that Christ is telling us that we need to give everything to God. And in letting go of our will for ourselves, we're putting full reliance on God. Full reliance. Come back with me into chapter 6. We're in verse number 11. I want you to see what Christ says about full reliance. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 11, he says this, Give us this day our daily bread. I'm staying right there for a moment. That's it. One verse. Seven words. I want you to write this down. It's point number two in your notes. Our prayer should continually recognize who provides for us and who doesn't. Our prayer is continually recognizing who is providing for us. This verse and this request, it is absolutely a plea for provision. And again, it requires us to recognize who gives and who doesn't. We wouldn't be asking God for our daily bread We wouldn't be asking him for this provision if it was something that we felt we could take care of on our own for our entire life. As if, hey, we got this. No. This is our our daily necessity that we're putting full reliance on God. Being completely confident that we can't provide this for ourselves. We are relying on God to provide this for us. And he will. And he does. It's that recognition that even something in our lives as basic as food requires our full reliance on God for provision. In the remote mountains in Norway, there was built in 2008 what some people refer to as the Noah's Ark of plant life. It's up in the frozen area. It's what's referred to also as a doomsday vault. There's a storage facility in Norway that stalks and protects seeds that could be used to replant the earth if anything were to happen. There's, it's looked at as man's last hope in, in, in the case of maybe a major earthquake or a nuclear war. And there's been wars and typhoons that have wiped out other seed banks in the world before. But this one, built in this location, was actually built to withstand an earthquake. It was built to withstand a nuclear strike. 
It contains some of the most amazing seeds that have ever been collected. There are mold-resistant beans. There is a German pink tomato that there are seeds for. There is actually a wild strawberry, wild strawberry seeds that were plucked from the edge of a Russian volcano. They have these seeds stored because if something were to happen, we could replant. See, the seeds inside this vault, they're so valuable that even to get in, you have to go through four locked doors. Two of them are air-controlled doors just to get into the facility. It's an amazingly wise idea to build a vault and to store seeds. And it just goes to show the provisions that God has provided for us and what we are storing as humans, as His creation, we are actually storing His creation. See, we're not storing anything that's man-made. We're storing seeds. We're putting God's provision away. We're holding on to it for the time that man really messes things up. So we have God's provision that can help us get through the times that, that we find ourselves in a, in, a, in, a, in a time that we don't know how to get out of this. If man really does something wrong that we have stored up, I want you to see God's provisions for his people, even going back into the Old Testament times. When Moses was leading God's people through the desert, there's a short story in the book of Numbers in chapter 21. And what had happened is God's people were wandering through the desert and, and, and they were complaining that they, that they weren't in the promised land yet. And, and, and they, they, they started to talk bad about God, speak against him. And God sent these snakes Venomous snakes started biting people and people started dying. And so the people went to Moses and they said, Oh, we, we, we pray so desperately that the Lord will take these snakes away from us. And I want you to see what God said to Moses. We're in Numbers chapter 21, verses 8. And then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All those who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. See, God provided a provision for his people. There was absolutely nothing that they could do on their own for their own salvation. There was nothing that they could do to make it to live past this torment on their own. God provided a way. You know what God asked the people to do? He asked the people to look up. He says, I want you to look up at this pole, and that's how you're going to be saved. Now see what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus says this, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. You know what Jesus is asking you and I to do? He's asking you and I to look up. He is looking us, he is asking us to see this example in the book of, that, that Moses has, has written in this story. And he's telling us, recognize that we need to look up. 
God's daily provisions of food that we so desperately need, it calms our hearts when we understand who is providing this for us, who it is that is giving, who it is that can, that can bring our food, can bring our breath to us, that those don't come by our own hand. That God is simply saying, I want you to look up at me and give full reliance to me. I want you to know who it is that provides. See, the disciples' prayer that Jesus is giving to us, this example of the prayer that, that we should be praying on a regular basis, it's so deep in this requirement of recognition <clears throat> that we recognize for our part what God has done for us. And I want you to see what else Jesus is saying that we need to recognize as we go through this prayer. Come back with me into Matthew chapter 6, we're in verse number 12. Jesus says this, and he continues on in the prayer. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Again, one verse, deep points. Point number three in your notes this morning. Our prayers are our chance to tell God that we acknowledge the steep price that He has paid for our lives. It's this acknowledgement of the price that God has paid for us. At first glance, this verse seems to, it seems to talk about finance, kind of bringing our direction and our thoughts to debts. Oftentimes, it, it's, we have this idea, it's like, okay, so I'm going to forgive somebody who owes me something? All right, so I forgive your debt. See, what Jesus is referring to when he talks to us about forgiving our debtors is it's not as if we have a lot of people who owe us money. Jesus isn't talking about finance. What he's talking about is our wrongs. He's talking about our sins, our wrongs against God. In this prayer that Jesus is, is teaching us to pray to the Father, He's telling us to be asking for forgiveness from our debts to God. It does, it leads to the question. If we're asking God the Father to forgive our debts, what does he mean? What do we, what do we owe him? What do we have that, that we owe God? More than that, it leads to the question of why do we owe him? What is it? I think it'd be fair to say that none of us have gone to God and we've asked for a financial loan of money, right? We, we don't typically say, hey, God, can, can I borrow a couple of grand? Like, just like, tomorrow, my bank account, I'm going to log on, Wells Fargo, boom, it's going to be there. I'll get you back, I promise. Get you back by the end of the year. You know, so he's not talking about a financial loan. But rather, he's saying, if you're a believer in Christ... You have gone to God and you have asked for your life. You have asked for that life to spend eternity with Him. God has granted that. We have that debt. And He says we're asking for forgiveness, to forgive this debt. I want you to see in 1 Corinthians what Paul writes. He writes this. He says, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. You were bought at a very high price. God would be justified in all that He is to expect payment from us. He'd be justified for that, right? To say, you know what? I expect this payment back. To see, God, by God's grace, 
He doesn't expect us to pay back this high price that we can't afford. He doesn't expect us to pay back that debt that we owe Him for our lives. It's so important that our request for forgiveness is part of our regular prayer because without forgiveness for our debts or recognizing the price that Christ paid for us, then I don't know that we can truly understand the value that God puts on our life. You know that God might value your life more than you do? There's times we kind of fall into a depression, maybe we're struggling to actually value our own life sometimes. But it's never within our, it's never within our allowance to forget how much God values us. Even when we have no value for our own life, He still, while we were sinners, still died for us. It's an extremely high value that God places on your life. And how are we ever to pay that back? We don't have to pay that back because God has forgiven that debt. We don't have this bill. We don't have this this note that we have to work off or pay back. We haven't asked for that loan, but He has paid for us with a very, very high price. He values us that much that we are eternally in debt with a debt we can't pay back that He's going to forgive. The second half of this verse, however, it's not just an instruction from Jesus. It's more than that. It's an assumption that we are going to forgive others. It's not simply telling us, oh, you've been forgiven, so you have to forgive others. The way that it reads, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we forgive others. These two parts, these two phrases in this verse, they can't be separated. They go hand in hand. We're asking God to forgive us our sins at the same time that we hold others to a higher standard? Uh-uh. No, we are using the standard that God uses for us. He is forgiving our sins, right? He's forgiving our wrongs that we have, that, that, that we have against Him. He's forgiving those as we forgive others who have sinned against us. As we forgive others who have wronged us. He's not talking finance here. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes forgiving somebody who has wronged us is harder than forgiving their debt if we loan them money. That would be easier sometimes, huh? Than forgiving those who have wronged us. But if we're coming to God and we're saying, God, forgive us our wrongs, we can't separate it from the part of the verse that says, as we forgive those who have wronged us. It goes hand in hand. That's what Jesus is saying. This is part of our model prayer, right? Forgiveness is that one area in, in, in even our Christian's life that, that sometimes is so hard to conquer. Even the disciples struggled with forgiveness. I want you to see what Peter asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. 
It'll be up here on the screen. There's a few verses here that I'm going to read. Matthew 18, verse 21 reads like this. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him a million dollars. He couldn't pay, so the master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and his children and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will, I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor couldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who, had, who he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Verse 35, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's a pretty powerful story and parable that Jesus tells us, right? This morning we've been reading mainly from the New King James Version because it's a familiar rendition of the Lord's Prayer. It's comfortable. We've heard this translation throughout our entire lives. Most Sundays I preach from the New Living Translation. The NLT, it looks at verse 12 and it says this. It's, it's actually a very good translation of verse 12. It says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. This morning this idea of asking for forgiveness and giving forgiveness cannot simply be another Bible lesson that we learned when we came to church this morning it must be nothing less than a direct instruction and a transformational change in our lives that is given to us as instruction from our Savior as to how we are to live our Christian lives. We are to recognize this not as, as simply a good idea, but as an instruction. When Jesus told the, the disciples when you pray, pray like this. He didn't give them an option. He didn't give them an opportunity to adjust their behaviors to whatever they thought that, that maybe the Bible says, to take his words and interpret it the way that they wanted to interpret it. He didn't give them an out. He didn't give them an opportunity to say, you know what, follow me, but go as far as you want. And then stop where you want and interpret what I say however you want. He says, no, when you pray, pray like this. 
asking for forgiveness and giving for forgiveness are part of the instructions that Christ gives us in a model prayer. We don't have the opportunity to change God's words to fit our life. We have the obligation to change our life to fit God's words. Amen? The gift of forgiveness and grace was not given to us as an option to share with others, but rather as a command for us to give to others. Finally, Jesus makes this last point in the example prayer. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, we're in verse 13. Jesus says this, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The final point in your notes this morning, our prayers are our way to tell God how much we need His guidance. It's our opportunity to tell God exactly how much we need His guidance. We know where we're going to end up if we're creating our own path. Jesus tells us to ask God to lead us away from temptations and the trouble that we could be getting ourselves into if we're steering our own ship. There's no sense in us wasting our breath when it comes to talking to God. If we are telling God that we recognize that our own path is going to lead us into trouble, and we're praying to God, we are asking Him, Lord, See where I'm going on my own path? Lead me away from this. We need His guidance because honestly, by ourselves, we have no clue where we're going. We can't, we can't, we can't chart our own path to anywhere that, that we need to be. We can only go down the road that God has provided us if we want to get where God is leading us. We can't make our own road. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians. He says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. The half-brother of Jesus, a gentleman by the name of James, writes this in his epistle. In James 1, verse number 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot, tempt, uh, cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted, watch this, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Where's temptation come from? Our own desires. Temptation doesn't come from God. God doesn't tempt. But what we're doing in our prayers, we're saying, God, recognize where I'm going. Help keep me out of this temptation. I beg of you, keep me out of this temptation. It's God's guidance for our lives. It's given to us. You know where we, you know where we hear His guidance? It's in His Word. We read His guidance every day in our Bible. Every day we open it up, we're connecting with God's guidance for us. As Christians, it's our responsibility to have this one-on-one -on -one conversation with God. We talked about it last week. We talked about having an intimate conversation with God. Our prayers are our half of that conversation. 
that we are talking with God and we're telling him how we feel. We're telling him about our hurts. We're asking him for our forgiveness. We're asking him to guide our path. God's half of the conversation, it's already written for us. It's been written for us in his word. And you know what the glorious thing about it is? It doesn't change. It doesn't change. His words are not open to our interpretation. His words are fixed. His words for us are the same today that they were a thousand years ago and two thousand years ago. And here's the glorious part. They're going to be the same for our grandkids and the same for their grandkids. God's word is fixed. The interpretation is not open to us. The interpretation of his word, it comes from the author. We take what he said, what he meant, and we say, how do we adjust our lives to what God's will is? We never have an opportunity to adjust God's will to our lives because what that's doing, that's tainting God's will with our sin. The last holy place is heaven. God can't live around sin. He has a holy place that he wants us to come and live with him in heaven, a place that has no sin. It would be foolishness to say we want to take God's holy word and taint it with our sin. Amen? What this prayer is, is Christ's example of our conversation with God, our half of the conversation. Christ is saying, hey, don't forget these things when you pray. As a matter of fact, if we look at the Sermon on the Mount from the book of Luke, we can see that there was somebody that actually asked Jesus, so how do we pray? This prayer is what he gave his disciples as an example. I want you to pray to the Father like this. I want you to recognize who it is that provides for you. For the last two weeks, we've focused on prayer and on talking to God. I think it'd be fair to say that we could determine the depth of our love for somebody by how much time that we spend talking to them or how much time we spend thinking about them. I want you to think about the people in your life the people in your life who you are madly in love with. Men, it might be your wives. Wives, it might be your husbands. Maybe it's your mom, your dad, brothers, sisters. Maybe it's best friends. These are the people who we're the closest to in our lives, the ones that we spend the most time with in conversation, or at least we spend the most time thinking about them. It's the people we care about the most in our lives that we go out of our way to call and simply say, how are you? That we go out of our way to call and say, you know what, I need an ear today. I just need somebody to talk to. If people can recognize how much we love them by how much time we spend talking to them, God can too. Maybe God needs to see that we're spending more time in conversation with Him. If God is to be important in your life, we must have conversations with Him. We must simply talk to Him. 
God is not holding a very surface conversation with you and I. If we read through our Bible, he's not having conversations like, hey, how you doing? All right. Hey, see you next week. God's getting deep. God is getting deep through the Bible. He's, getting, he, he's connecting directly with our soul. That's what our half of our conversation needs to be with God. He's letting Him in, talking to Him about what's going on in our life. His words to you and I are in His book. Our words to Him are locked forever in our heart until we have a conversation with Him. He wants to hear from us. My prayer for you today is that you will pray today. That you will spend time in conversation with God on an intimate level every day. This prayer that Jesus prayed for us, this example prayer to us, it's a reminder to remember in prayer that our goal is to bring God's will in line with our lives, to bring our lives in line with God's will and to recognize His will. It's a reminder to us to recognize that God loves us so much that He will take care of our daily needs. We need to recognize who provides for us. It's a reminder to us every day to remember and understand how much God loves us. He loves us so much that He forgave our debt. He forgave our wages. What we owe Him, He wiped it clean. And it's a constant reminder about how desperately we need God's guidance. If you're here this morning and it's been a long time since you've talked to God, I'm going to invite you to spend some time this morning in conversation with God. I'm going to ask this morning if you'll pray with me with every head bowed this morning and every eye closed. I'm just going to ask that you take a minute and that we take a moment And acknowledge God for who He is and thank Him for His blessings. Thank Him for His mercies. For the details that He gave us in this example prayer. There might be somebody here this morning. There might be somebody here who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And I want to give you that opportunity I want to give you that opportunity this morning. If you're here and you're saying, you know what, I don't, I don't know that I've ever really talked to God. Or if I have, I've simply come to Him and said, look, I need, I need help. If you're here this morning and you don't know this deep love from Jesus, if if you're just now seeing and recognizing the price that He paid for you, I invite you to accept this gift. Because He's here with open hands and open arms, just ready and willing to welcome you. He comes with provision. He comes with guidance. He comes with His Word. 
He comes with what it takes to pay our debt. His death on the cross paid for all of your sins so that we can spend eternity with Him in a land that is so pure and holy.